Well, amen. Uh, if you have a Bible or your Northridge Notes app, uh, open it up. Have you ever had this opportunity or this experience, rather, of looking at a set of instructions or maybe uh, being told a set of instructions, me every time my wife orders something from Ikea, um, and being very confused at where to start? right? Like you're just like at a loss. Or, or maybe you're in a quite different scenario. Maybe the scenario for you is if you've heard the set of instructions, you're like, okay, I know what to do. You do the thing, but the results at the end of it is not at all what you expected. In fact, it leaves you a little disappointed, maybe a little frustrated, maybe a little confused. Well, this is my early experience with the Bible. From junior high, high school, and early on into college, I heard this set of instructions basically my entire life being raised in a home that took me to church, and even heard my pastor, heard my youth leaders, heard my small group leaders say this phrase that you may have heard, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. And and so I tried, I did, but I was left frustrated, confused, and a little like, what is going on? So I used the Bible for a great usage all the way through junior high and high school, a Bible, not this one, but sat on my nightstand on the side of my bedside table. And any night where I was restless or couldn't get some sleep, I would grab my Bible, I would open it up, and I would start reading. And about a chapter in, I'm out. Good night's sleep. And that's a little embarrassing. I mean, for a guy getting ready to teach the Bible to tell you that he used the Bible just to get some good shut-eye for some time in his life. But my life forever changed about my sophomore year of college. You see, I, I knew God had a specific calling on my life to, uh, to work at a church, to be a pastor. Even though I struggled with his word of like how to engage it on a one-to-one level, I, I knew that. And I had a professor ask me a very important question that changed the trajectory of my life. He asked me this question. Do you know how to read the Bible? Do you know how to read the Bible? You see, if he would have asked a similar question in any other way, I could have just gave a simple answer and moved on my life. He could ask me, do you know you need to read your Bible? Do you read your Bible? When do you read your Bible? How often do you read your Bible? You see, if you'd ask me any of those questions, I could be like, answered, move on, let's go. But this question stopped me in my tracks. And it's the reason why we're doing this series, getting to know your Bible. We would desire to sit across a table with you with a cup of coffee like my professor did with me and answer big questions like, how do we know we can trust the Bible? What's the scope or uh, the, the story of the Bible? What's the makeup of all the genres and how do we deal with that? Like, we, we'd love to answer questions like, what's the main point? What's it useful for? How do I study it? And we're seeking over the next four weeks to answer all of those questions through this series since we can't have coffee, coffee with all of you, which I would love to do because that would be a lot of coffee and I enjoy that, but... You see, we're doing this series because we believe this, which I believe my professor believed, that the Bible is the most powerful book you will ever read. And if you give it space in your life, it'll change your life. If you give it real, genuine space, I believe the Bible will change your life because it is the most powerful book you will ever read. But we have to come to this place first at a starting point of getting to know your Bible is you have to know that the Bible is God's book. 
The Bible's God's book. That as, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says this beautiful yet powerful phrase. All scripture is God-breathed. In a, in a couple of weeks, or actually next week, Drew will be delivering a talk on talking about the divine-human partnership of the human authors of the Bible and how they're relevant and the different genres they did and, and kind of all that really good stuff. But t- today, I want to talk about how the Bible is God's book. It's God-breathed. You see, some translations translate that word breathed as inspired. You see, the problem with thinking about it as being inspired, though, is several of us get inspired. Many people across our history and across our globe get inspired on a regular basis to write good books, to write good music, to perform in good plays, to make good art. They get really inspired take good pictures of photography. Like they, they get inspired to do a lot of great things, but God didn't give some humans some good ideas to transcribe and make the Bible. No, he breathed on it. You see, in the same way, think about creation. When you see something magnificent in creation, like mountains or the Grand Canyon or a beautiful sunset, the night sky, the stars, you're like, wow. Like I could see the power and the magnificence of God. I see his handprint, his thumbprint all over creation. That's the way we see the Bible. That God breathed, it's from the lungs of God is a way you can look at that word. From the lungs of God, that God wrote a book. And what the Bible claims about itself is amazing. One of my favorite passages about the Bible, in the Bible, is in Psalm chapter 19. You're going to see verses 7 through 11 on the screen in its entirety, but I simply just want to read the claims that the Bible makes about itself to you and let these just wash over you. You can see the whole text or you can pull it up in your notes or open your Bible to Psalm 19, 7 through 11. It says that the word of God is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm, righteous, more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, and it gives warning to those who follow Jesus. That's what the word of God claims about itself. That if God wrote a book, this is what this book is all about, that it is these things. But if we can say that the the Bible is God's book, and then it is these things. We have to have some kind of starting point in this series. And so I want to start by giving you, this morning with the remaining time that I have left, of three reasons why you can trust the Bible is God's book, that it's from God. Three reasons why you can trust the Bible. And the first one, that you can trust the Bible because of the historical evidence, the historical evidence The Bible, you know, is a spiritual book, but we believe it's from God, that's from his lungs, but it didn't fall down from heaven in this perfect, you know, English form with this beautiful typeface and spacing and numbers to mark the chapters and the verses and all that stuff. Like, no, the Bible didn't just fall down and God was like, here it is. Like, that's not what we mean by the Bible being from God, but it is from God. But yet, even though it's from God, it's a historical book as well. What I mean by that is the Bible within it, it cites thousands of events, rulers, locations, rivers, mountains, countries, cities, even coins are cited in the Bible. 
Think about in the book of Acts alone, written by a doctor named Luke. Luke records over 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine different islands in one book of the Bible. And so if the Bible wasn't from God, if it wasn't from the lungs of God, if you will, what are the chances that these human authors made at least one major historical hiccup? Like they messed up one thing. If they're citing thousands of these events, rulers, locations, rivers, cities, all these different things, like if they're doing all of that, what are the chances they made at least one major hiccup historically? Well, let's compare the Bible to another religious textbook, the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was written before 1830 about the continent of the Americas. And within it, it cites cities and people groups and even some coins. And the source from the Book of Mormon is different from the Bible because the source is claimed that golden tablets fell down from heaven and landed on a hill in Palmyra, New York, about 45 minutes from our Rochester campus. And Joseph Smith is claimed to go up on this hill, grab these tablets, and translate them into what is now known as the Book of Mormon. But since it cites cities, rulers, and coins, archaeologists, uh, if anything is cited as historical, they look into the historical factual evidence of this. And so the National Geographic Society sent a letter to uh, the church, the Mormon church, uh, in 18, or 1998, sorry, which I have right here, and I'm gonna read this highlighted portion about the historical claims from the Book of Mormon. It says this, that archeologists and other scholars have long probed the hemisphere's past, and the society does not know of anything found so far that has substantiated the Book of Mormon. To say it another way, that nothing historically can be proven that the Book of Mormon claims to be true. And if you have a Mormon background or you have family members or friends who uh, practice the Mormon faith, I'm not here to take shots. I'm just here to look at the facts. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible makes a ton of historical claims. And there's been over 25,000 digs archeologically looking into the claims of the Bible historicity. And this is a quote from archeologist Nelson Gluck. It may be stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail the historical statements in the Bible. If you wanna dig into this more, you can, there's actually a direct link in the Northridge Notes app uh, taking you to an archeological study Bible that you can trust the Bible because of the historical evidence. The second thing is, you can trust the Bible because of the textual evidence. Or, or to say it in a different way, because uh, that may sound a little weird, you can trust the Bible because of the Bible itself. You, you can trust it. And you may ask the question like, why is this even a question we're trying to answer? Well, the question here that we're seeking to answer is, is the Bible we have the Bible that was written? Is the Bible we have the Bible that was written? And historians, they look at two basic uh, metrics for evaluation when looking at just historical documents as a whole. The first evaluation is what is the date between the original manuscript that was written and the copy of the manuscript that we have? Like, what is that time period? What is that time period between these two? And the second is, 
what is the volume of similar manuscripts that we have? So how many copies of this do we have? Because if something was important, they didn't write it down just one time. They made copies of it. And before the printing press, they would have to manually copy these things. If they were historical documents that are true to history, these are the two metrics of measuring those things. So let's put the Bible up against unargued, undisputed historical documents. The first one you can see behind me is Herodias History, who is a Greek historian who recorded uh, Greek history. The original was written in 480 BC. The earliest manuscript that we know of today is written and dated around AD 900. There's about 109 known manuscripts that we have. And so that gap in that date year that, that I referenced at the first was, is 1380 years is the date gap. The second Plato's uh, Tetrarchies, which are historical plays written by Plato. Written originally in 400 BC, the earliest manuscript we have is AD 895, and there's a little bit more manuscripts, 210. And that ga gap uh, is a little bit closer together. It's, together, it's 1,295 years. And the third is uh, Caesar Gallic Wars, uh, which these are wars waged between 58 and 50 BC by uh, the Roman general Julius Caesar against the Germanic, British, and other tribes. Written originally in 100 BC, uh, earliest manuscript is AD 800, and then the manuscripts that we have in volume is about 251. That You see the volume increased a little every time, and the years decreased the range, about 900 years in this one. So let's look at that. I know because some of you are like, why are we looking at this? Well, these are all mainly documents that our public school system teach as historical fact. Let's compare these to the New Testament. Written originally in about 50 to 100 AD. Earliest manuscripts about AD 130. And then we have over 20,000 manuscripts. And that date range is about between 30 and 70 years of closeness together. So to say this chart in one summation, the New Testament has more documentation, closer together to the actual events of their recording than most all other historical documents of history. And no other scholar would question the above three documents. To say it and think about it in this way, Sir Frederick Kenyon, Kenyon who was a former director of the British Museum, thinking about this question about the the verifiable evidence of the New Testament says this. In no other case is the interval of time between the composition of the book and the date of the earliest manuscripts so short as that of the New Testament. The last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. So to say it differently, the Bible that was written is the Bible we have. And you could do one of two things with this. You, you could do one of two things with this information. You could say, Daniel, you just made all that up. That's not real research. I'm just denying. I'm just denying this wholeheartedly. Or this could bring you to a place that says, God wrote a book. And we can trust it. That the God who loved you and I enough to create us, to breathe us into being, loved us enough to send his one and only son to give his life for our failures, for our sin. And that God loved us enough to reveal himself, to tell us about him in his word. He wrote a book so that you and I could come to know him. And as I was studying for this sermon and this talk, I wanted to know, like, what does Jesus think 
about the Bible? Is, is there anywhere in the Gospels that we have recorded that Jesus says something about what he thinks about the Bible? And there was one place that I found, there were probably multiple places, but I want to highlight this one. In Matthew chapter 22, we have what we zoom into uh, like a street argument where religious leaders are posing to each other questions and they're arguing back and forth. And there's this group called the Sadducees. They only believe in the first five books of the Bible or the books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it, the first five books. And they don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in a resurrection. And apparently they would pose this question to other religious leaders who did believe in that and it would stump them. They would not be able to answer the question and they would be like, ha ha, we won, you're stupid. And so they pose the question to Jesus and Jesus replies to them like this, you're an error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. He starts off, let's get one thing straight. You may have read it, but you haven't got it. And then he goes on to quote from those first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament, the books of Moses, the book of law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it. And most times when Jesus is quoting that in the gospels, he'll say something like, Moses said, or you remember when the book of law said, the book, the law of Moses said, but this time he says this phrase, have you not read what God said? Now, don't, don't breeze by this too quickly like you probably would, like I would in my Bible reading. He says, have you not read, like with your eyes, words on a page, read what God said? That Jesus believes God wrote a book. Jesus believed that God wrote a book and that we can trust it. So we can trust the Bible because of its historical evidence because of its textual or because of the words themselves. And the third and the final thing is we can trust the Bible because of its prophetic accuracy. Now, we need to find the word prophecy first and foremost before we get too far. Prophecy in the Bible could be one of three things. The first thing it could be is it could be from God. Like prophecy could be just man translating what God told them to say. The second thing is prophecy could be uh, something being revealed that was hidden. So prophecy could mean revealing something that was hidden. The third thing is foretelling or telling about the future. So any of those three things could be prophecy and we see them based on context all throughout the Bible of what the text means. And Peter in 2 Peter chapter one talks about the origin or the source, the power of the biblical prophecy. And he says this, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the, the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, we have over 300 prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled in Jesus' life death and resurrection. And you know, I know there's probably an easy uh, just way to poke a hole in my argument right there is because like, oh yeah, Daniel, that's, that's easy to refute. Because all you got to say is, well, the early followers of Jesus, they just went back to the Old Testament and just tweaked it because they wanted it to be Jesus. They just tweaked it a little bit. They're just like, he'll be born like this or he'll die like this. And they just, they just tweaked it. And that was an argument that was used pretty regularly up until 1947. And you're like, 1947, like what does 1947 have to do with anything? 
Well, there was this major archaeological discovery in 1947 called the Dead Sea Scrolls findings. And the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, find was found in caves along the Dead Sea from the Qumran community where about 1,100 manuscripts and over hundreds of thousands of fragments from Old Testament books were found and preserved in clay pots. And there was one specific scroll um, that I want to highlight. It's called Manuscript A. It's a copy of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And this scroll was almost the entire book intact in one single piece. This is over 734 centimeters long. This thing's massive. And you can see it on display in Israel. And the book of Isaiah contains more prophecies about Jesus than any other book in the Bible. And it's the one that's held intact. It includes prophecies like how Jesus would be born, where he would do ministry, that non-Jews would seek after him, that he would have a forerunner in his ministry, that he would die, how and where he would be buried. All that and, and more that we could trust. God wrote a book. And if you're still struggling, maybe you're skeptical about this or maybe you're like, yeah, Daniel, but I want you to answer the first question of like, how do I read the Bible? I got all that. I trust God wrote a book. I get it. Well, if you want to dive into more, we're going to cover those things in the weeks ahead. But if you want a little more, you can jump onto iwant.info and register for a book club. There's two books, one addressing the issue of trusting the Bible more, because there's way more reasons. This is just a few, just three, that we can trust that God wrote a book. There's more. And then there's a second one of how you can study the Bible. And if you're skeptical in the, in the room today, and you have all these arguments, you could probably, we could sit out in the lobby and argue about, well, what about this? Or have you read that? But I just want to put before you a simple question. Have you read the Bible? Because Jesus, on the night before he was going to be crucified, before he would give his life for the sins of the world, was praying this prayer in John 17, and verse 17 says this, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them, change them, make them more like me by the truth. And Jesus says, your word is truth. That Jesus believed that the Bible is the most powerful book you will ever read. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I hope that you feel like I do when I deliver this and when I wrote it, is I feel burdened by the fact that I thought I loved the Bible, but I need to love the Bible all the more and spend time with it. So I wanna encourage you to take the one challenge. And then in full transparency, I made this up, okay? The one challenge where in one day, so just one day, usually the day you're living in, all right, that's a good helpful part of reference, pick one chapter and read that one chapter from the Bible. I, su I suggest you go in sequential order. So if you're picking like the Gospel of Matthew, read chapter one one day and the next day, chapter two. All right. So if you read one chapter and inside of that one chapter, you pick one verse. You pick one verse that you're going to dedicate and set aside one hour to live that verse out. Like God wrote a book and it has the power to change your life because it's the most powerful book you'll ever read. If you just pick one day, read one chapter, pick one verse, and live it out for one hour, I believe it will change your life. Because the Bible is the most powerful book you will ever read. And if you give it space, it will change your life. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the fact that you wrote a book. 
You gave us your word. You have given us your word. God, my prayer is that we would not neglect it. God, for people all over this room, under the sound of my voice, watching online at other campuses, God, that we would realize that you wrote a book, that you have revealed yourself to us. May we not neglect that. May we get into your word and may you make us like you. Sanctify us, Jesus, by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen.